Do you want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily. It's called Spotify for Podcasters. It lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. You know I love that, and I promise you the other platforms don't offer that. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can also earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. I've been using Spotify for Podcasters from the very start. I highly recommend you give it a try. Just don't post on Monday. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started. Welcome, everyone, to Monday Match Analysis. I'm Gil Gross. Round one of the Western and Southern Open Cincinnati in New York is in the books. I really enjoyed it. I, I thought it was good, okay? So this this is a, the return of meaningful ATP tennis in, you know, mid-pandemic form. The no-crowd stuff hasn't really bothered me much. I thought that the players brought the intensity. I think that there have been some one-sided matches, and we'll get into one of them, where I feel, you know, it was abundantly clear that one of the players wasn't at their best, so we'll get into one of those matches, and I think there have been a few examples, and the match toughness certainly isn't there, but I do think that the the product overall is, is livable. I mean, let me know if you guys disagree. You know, this is a completely uh, subjective matter. My, my one thing is I do think that it's imperative that the commentators bring energy. Um... Normally, there's a certain cadence that you have in tennis. It's not quite a golf cadence. It's it's a little bit more energetic than that, but it's certainly something below baseball. And excuse, I shouldn't have said baseball. I should have said football, basketball, hockey, right? The, those three sports and, and soccer. Um, tennis, it's just kind of a little bit mellow. It's normally a little mellow. I do think that because there's no crowd... When something happens and it's a big moment, it's an important moment, or let's say it's a great shot, you don't get the natural sound of the crowd reacting to give you that signal like, oh, that was amazing, right? Because so you don't get that sensory cue. So I feel like the announcers kind of need to make that adjustment and they need to bring the energy. You know, I want a little bit of, oh, what a shot. You know, I want them to kind of step it up, not step it up. I'm not saying the announcers are not doing their jobs well. I'm saying um, an adjustment is probably necessary compared to where uh, what calling normal tennis requires. So that's my only take on the no crowd stuff. I'm curious to hear yours. No lines judges is is also a bit of a change. I've been very amused by the players trying to challenge I mean, this has happened multiple times. The players don't seem to comprehend that they are not going to win a challenge against the very system that made the original call. So this has been interesting. Uh, Stefano Tsitsipas, we're going to talk about his match against Kevin Anderson, uh, a second-round match, actually. 
he he got called for a couple of Hawkeye foot faults. I'm a fan of the Hawkeye foot fault. I like the Hawkeye foot fault because I think sometimes the lines judges are too afraid to call it. They don't want to call it. So I think an objective system is more necessary there because they're not forced to make a call. No one's paying attention, right? They, they don't have that pressure. No one's going to look at the lines judge and say, hey, what the heck? You didn't call the foot fault. That's never going to happen because nobody notices and the margins are so thin. So it's different than a lines call where they have to call it in or out. I think that a lot of foot faults are probably missed. So it's probably good that that's uh, an objective system. Um, I don't, I, I'm not sure, I'm not sure how I feel about no lines judges. I know that those are human beings and, and they, you know, that's their job. Um, so I'm pretty conflicted on that. So th these are things I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Uh, but on today's Monday match analysis, I want to get into two matches. Yesterday, I broke down, um, if I can remember what match I broke down. All right, uh, Denis Shapovalov and Marin Cilic in the first round. I'm going to break down two more matches on today's show. And uh, as my schedule permits, I'll continue to do analyses on, uh, on matches throughout the week. Uh, in more housekeeping, some people have asked about the Friday mailbag. Um, on Monday, that I that's not going to be on, on Friday in the middle of a tournament. What I'll do is I'll do the U.S. Open preview and the um, mailbag. That'll drop. I'll, I'll record it Sunday night. I'll release it 5 a.m. Monday morning. Does that sound good? So it'll be Q&A and U.S. Open preview. It'll be electric, okay? So a huge Monday match analysis coming up next week. All right. Let's get into this. For the first match I want to get into, which is uh, Andre Rublev and Dan Evans. If you don't want a spoiler, obviously you're in the wrong place. Uh, so you can click off the video now. Okay. You know the title's going to spoil it anyway. So that was an unnecessary thing for me to say. Dan Evans taking it. In three sets, a very impressive showing by the Brit upsetting the number 12 seed Andre Rublev. Um, where shall I begin? I want to begin with uh, the second serve, the Rublev second serve. And it's interesting because in my last breakdown of Chilla Shapovalov, that was the, the main point I was trying to hammer home, was how Shapovalov was attacking the second serve. And it's funny because now for the second match in a row, I feel that that was the main tactical difference maker. It was how Dan Evans was attacking the Andre Rublev second serve. And Rublev, this has been an issue for him. He hits his second serve oftentimes, you know, between 70 and 80 miles per hour, sometimes on the wrong side of that range. And sometimes it's in the middle of the box and he just doesn't, you know, for some reason he's not comfortable really going closer to the lines on that shot. And I thought his reactions were pretty good after the fact. Unlike Marin Cilic um, last night or two nights ago, I thought that Rublev was reacting quite well to it. But nonetheless, he was on the wrong side of the rally too often immediately after his second serve. And if uh, 
I pull up the footage here, you can see Dan Evans split stepping two feet inside the baseline, which is pretty rare in the men's game. And he's going to take a step to his left because he's very confident that Rublev isn't going to burn him down the tee on the ad side. So, and Dan Evans also ran around his backhand on, on quite a few second serves on the deuce side. You can't let that happen. Your second serve has to be stronger than that. You need to mix up locations, especially if you're not going to serve heavy, if you're not going to serve big. If Rublev was serving 90 mile per hour second serves, he could go to the backhand corner every time. And Dan Evans wouldn't even, I don't think he'd be too all that comfortable running around the backhand if Rublev was hitting 90 mile per hour second serves. But if you're hitting 75 mile per hour second serves or even 80 mile per hour second serves and you're not mixing up your spots, now Dan Evans is going to feel really comfortable on all the biggest points. He's going to jump to his left after Andre Rublev tosses the ball and he's going to look for to take a forehand early on the rise uh, on the second serve return. Sharp contrast, by the way, with how Shapovalov attacked Chilich's second serve. Shapovalov has the contemporary style, the new school style, which is all the way, you know, back it up to the back fence and take a huge rip at the ball, a big cut. Uh, Dan Evans is not that guy. Dan Evans is an old school player. He's got old school skills. So he's going to, instead of moving back, he's going to move forward. He's going to shorten up his swing He's going to take it early on the rise, um, and he's going to hit it quite flat, very flat. And this ball rushes Andre Rublev on the backhand. This is 30-40 break point for Dan Evans uh, to go up 6-5 and serve for the first set. And this is a shank from Andre Rublev. It goes well wide. And Dan Evans uh, closes out the set. So that was a big problem for Rublev, was his ability to protect the second serve. And he won um, 33% of his second serve points in the first set. Now let me make a blanket statement about Andre Rublev right now. I would be ready to pick Andre Rublev to do major major damage in the U.S. Open. I am 100% comfortable in 90% of his game to do that. And when I say major damage, I mean semifinals. I mean finals, right? I mean a surprise title winner. I am supremely confident in Andre Rublev's game. I love what he does from the baseline. But I can't pick him to do major damage and to be an outside contender for the title with the current state of his second serve. The second serve is too important and too many good players will punish him for it. Uh, so he needs to shore that up. Rod, I mean, if you, and it's really not optional. Andy Murray had to do it before he could win a major. He had to improve the second serve. Murray's not a natural kick serve. Doesn't have it. Um, he had to improve that. Rafa Nadal and Novak Djokovic and Roger Federer um, have won 
the majors they've won in large part because they are the best on tour at protecting their second serves. And the next players who win majors after the big three will do so. I'll say this. It's very likely that they will be excellent at protecting their second serve because it's essential. Dominic Team, uh, I'm... I have full confidence that he can protect his second serve. I don't have that right now in Andre Rublev, so it's a problem. Blanket statement, I'll say that. Um, the next thing I want to talk about is this matchup, the Evans-Rublev matchup in particular. It's a troublesome matchup for Rublev, and they split their last two, but it's always a battle when Dan Evans plays Andre Rublev, and I think they knew that coming into this match. Uh, I think they knew that it was going to be a dogfight. And it's because Dan Evans makes Rublev very, very uncomfortable with, with his short backhand slice cross court. And when he can find the Rublev backhand, he's really finding Andre's uh, weakest shot. And if he can draw Rublev to the net, Evans loves that. He wants to do that. Uh, but ultimately, he's he's really just taking away what Rublev wants to do, which is slug it out from the baseline and really kind of get a good rhythm from behind the baseline. Evans takes away all his rhythm. I think Rublev likes pace. He wants pace, and Evans doesn't give him that. Um, Rublev just wants to play a really fast, rhythmic baseline game, and he's excellent at it. He's a big hitter. Uh, he is like... You know, he really, he, he's pretty quick. He reminds me a bit of Robin Soderling. I kind of like that comparison for Andre Rublev. He is extraordinarily dangerous from both wings and can make his opponent extraordinarily um, uncomfortable at all times. But Evans can really hit away from Rublev's power when he uses the slice backhand. So... Rublev, he's played Evans before. He knew that. He knew that coming in. What I think that Rublev's game plan was to combat that uh, was go inside in on the forehand, run around the backhand, go inside in on the forehand as soon as possible to avoid that ad side pattern where Evans can use the chip backhand. Now, I got to say, um, I think Evans has a really good running forehand. And I think Rublev kind of got away from that tactic. But I do think that that was something that Rublev was trying to do. The second thing I think Rublev was trying to do was use the delayed net approach. I want to show you that one. All right. Um, so here's the 30-15-2-all in the first set. Rublev is going to hit this inside-out forehand. And notice on the next frame, the ball bounces on the other, other side of the court but Rublev is still in the same spot. That's because when Rublev hit that forehand, he wasn't quite sure that he was going to the net. But he's making two calculations in his mind. One, how well did I hit the shot? And in this case, he hit it really, really well. The second calculation is, is Dan Evans slicing the ball? It's usually going to be less when it comes to Evans. He, he slices 90% of the time when he plays Andre Rublev. Uh, but Rublev is going to see his outgoing ball, and he's going to come to the net on a delayed... It's a delayed approach, a delayed net rush. And because Evans slices it, the ball is going to hang in the air longer. So even though Evans, when, uh, even though Rublev, when Evans strikes the ball, 
is halfway between the baseline and the service line, he'll have plenty of time to make up the distance and close out the net. And there he gets the the volley. It's still kind of a low backhand volley, but Rublev does very nicely with this. He pushes it down the line, puts Evans on the dead run, and Evans has no play on it, misses the pass. I was really impressed by Rublev's net play and his transition game. And that's the next step. And if you are a fan of Andre Rublev, you should feel really good about that. If you watch this match and you saw Andre Rublev volley, you should feel very good about how well Rublev volleyed. I would say the downside is that he's still not confident enough to do it all the time. And next time Rublev plays Evans, he's got to go. He's just got to go. And it's not his instinct. And Rublev is the kind of guy who says, why go to the net and risk getting past or having to make a difficult volley when, I, when I'm supremely confident in hitting three great forehands in a row? He's one of those players. Think, you know, Fernando Verdasco. Think David Ferrer. Right? These are players, big forehands. They don't want to go to the net. They'd rather hit three forehands than one volley. Andre Rublev is that guy. But against Dan Evans, he needs to go against his instinct next, next time. He did so in the first set, just kind of drifted away. So, the, so those were the two aspects of, of Rublev's game plan. Inside-in frequent and um, delayed net rushes. Thought it worked really well in the first set. Just didn't matter because of what I showed you first. The first thing I showed you here was Evans attacking the Rublev second serve. It didn't matter how well Rublev played, um, you know, during the points, once the points got started. He, he was just on his back foot too often because of the second serve woes, because of the serving troubles. He only made 55% of his first serves, by the way. So let's get, get that out of the way as well. You can maybe get away with getting exposed on the second serve if you're making a ton of your first, but he wasn't. So that's why Rublev lost this first set. Even though he did a lot of things correctly, Evans, I was really impressed, and not just on the second serve return, I was really impressed with Evans' aggressive returning. He's got a ton of talent, Dan Evans, and he just did a great job on the return of serve in this first set. In the second set, uh, Rublev actually protected his serve much, much better. Um, and Rublev takes this second set 6-3. Then in the third set, I just want to say, first of all, it's the best match. This, this, The quality in the third set, and, and overall in this match, was the best quality I've seen uh, of all the tennis I've watched so far. But what happens here is I believe Dan Evans and the chip backhands got to Rublev's energy reserves. I think he got tired, Andre Rublev. And all the credit goes to Dan Evans because I think the way Evans was playing was exhausting Andre Rublev. One thing that Evans started doing was he started going down the line more on the slice backhand. Rublev was really running around his backhand a lot. So when Evans was slicing cross-court, remember it takes longer for the ball to get to the other side of the net when you slice it. Rublev was really finding a lot of forehands. And when Evans found the Rublev backhand, it was successful. 
Um, for example, break point, if you go back and watch the match, break point, 5-4, first set. Evans um, slices uh, shallow in Rublev, uh, to Rublev's backhand side. Rublev steps in, hits a kind of a weak backhand, middle of the court. Evans takes a couple steps to his left and rips a forehand for a winner uh, inside in. Textbook, exactly what Evans wants, exactly the play that he's trying to execute against Rublev. But I thought it was kind of few and far between because Rublev was getting too many forehands. When Evans started going down the line with his backhand slice, and he did this more and more often at the beginning of the third set, um, I think he was making Rublev work extra, extra hard. And that was really paying off because Rublev could no longer camp in his backhand corner. He had to run to the deuce side of the court, to his forehand side. Um, and then he kind of wanted to usually go down the line to to draw another slice backhand um, from Evans because he didn't, which was a mistake in a lot of cases. But anyway, he had to, he, he, he was just doing more moving. Evans was making him doing more, more moving. Uh, versus when Evans was hitting all of his slice backhands cross court or the vast majority of them. So I thought Evans started mixing it up more and Rublev got tired legs as a result of it. Here is uh, an example. First game of uh, Love One. Here's that down the line slice backhand from Evans right there, right? And then Rublev has to get up to the ball and he, he goes down the line with his forehand and then Rublev goes cross court, or excuse me, Evans goes slice cross court. And now Rublev wants needs to hit an inside or needs to hit a runaround forehand on the other side of the court. So he was just on the deuce side, and now he needs to run all the way to the ad side to hit another forehand. And by the way, this rally is already lengthy. He goes inside in, and now we see some, some of the magical shot making. Dan Evans running forehand, amazing depth, half volley from Rublev, uh, can't handle it. So Dan Evans with some magical shot making here. Now, next two points. Second serve from Rublev. Evans steps in, chips it deep cross court. Again, Rublev doesn't want to hit a backhand. He doesn't like to hit a topspin backhand off Dan Evans' slice. So he runs around. But he doesn't quite get to the spot in time. He's off balance, falling backwards. His racket speed actually slows down on this shot. And he misses it. Now it's, uh, that made it love 30. Now at 1530, another short slice by Dan Evans. He, he doesn't knife it deep. This one, he just kind of soft, kind of junk ball, short backhand slice. And Rublev doesn't get up to the ball. Look at him. He lunges forward. That's tired feet. Now Rublev has an underdeveloped slice backhand. If Rublev didn't have an underdeveloped slice backhand, Evans wouldn't be able to exploit this pattern. He wouldn't be able to exploit that cross-court slice backhand. Um, Rublev could simply slice it back. Slice loves slice. And it's a lot easier if someone is going gonna, is gonna to slice low cross-court to a righty, especially a two-hander, it's so much easier to just slice it back than to try to get you know up to the ball 
um, when the ball is low and try to get the ball up over the net and down before the baseline uh, so the ball doesn't fly long on a topspin backhand when you're inside the court and taking a low backhand. It's my least favorite shot. I'm, I, have, I have two hands. I have a two-handed backhand. I don't want to hit a two-handed backhand inside the court, um, a low a low two-handed backhand inside the court. Novak Djokovic has the best two-hander in the world. He doesn't like that shot. He doesn't want a low two-handed backhand in the midcourt or um, you know inside the baseline. It's a very tough shot for two-handers. If you have a, a great slice, you can just slice it back, and it's no problem. Rublev doesn't have that. He got tired feet here. He misses this slice backhand, and then what happens? 30-40, break point, another runaround forehand off a second serve from Evans, and Rublev cannot handle it. Um, he does not return this ball. I got to say, third set, Evans, some magical shot making. He never, he never gets his serve broken. His first serve percentage goes up. It was very, very poor in the first two sets. Evan starts making some first serves, um, does some does some really great things. Unbelievable shot making. Full credit to Dan Evans. He's one to watch. This was a physical match, so I'm not sure how he'll recover physically. But Dan Evans is is definitely someone you want to keep your eye on this week um, if he's going to play that well on quick courts. He's a top 15 player right now, in my opinion. That that's a new development, 2020, tail end of 2019, maybe. I would. I, that's the first time. This is the first time in his career that I would say that. But on a quick court, I believe Dan Evans is a top 15 guy. Moving on to the next match, this one was a second round match. Kevin Anderson uh, won his first round in three sets. Um, he took out Kyle Edmund. Rather long match, three-setter, and then bad luck for K.A. He had to play the next match uh, the next day. One of the few second-round matches that was uh, played on the Sunday. And, man, I mean, this got this got ugly pretty fast. First point of the match, Anderson misses an overhead. And, man, I mean, it just snowballs from there. It was, it was really, really bad. Anderson looked very tired. Uh, I this was an example. I don't think we would have seen this if if we were if we had normal circumstances and the tour wasn't just off for five months. But Anderson just looked like his body didn't recover at all, not even a little bit. Um, two double faults at one all. Um, so Anderson did does hold serve, but two double faults at one all. Forehand approach right right up the middle. He has an easy approach shot, hits it right up the middle, gets passed. And then Tsitsipas hits a floating block return off the backhand. And Anderson has all day to set up and just misses it wide. Um, wide right. So from the offset, in the very beginning, you could tell like Kevin Anderson doesn't look very good. 6-1 first set for Tsitsipas. Anderson made 16 unforced errors in the seven games. What I was really looking for, the reason I thought that this was going to be a good match, a close match, the reason I knew I was going to talk about this match on Monday Match Analysis this week, is because I was very curious to see um, how Titipas dealt with the Anderson serve, 
Tsitsipas has had trouble with the bigger with the biggest servers on tour. For example, at the at the Aussie, he lost to uh, Milos Raonic in three sets and just wasn't putting returns in play. Just couldn't handle the serve. So Anderson's a big server. I was very curious to see how Tsitsipas would look. Um, and I will say that Stefanos, he gets it. He has the right intention. He knows he needs to try to block back first serves. And for the most part, he understands what he needs to try to do, which is the first step. Because for a while there, he seemed to have some kind of a mental block. And he he couldn't recognize if he was, you know, missing 70% of his backhand returns, backhand first serve returns, and he just wouldn't adjust. And now he does understand that he needs to block the ball back. But I still can't really tell how effective his return is at this juncture. It was another example. I talked about this with, um, I talked about this with Shapovalov. I talked about this with uh, Basilashvili. Not really testing FAA. There have been a couple matches this week where, or first round matches where it's been like this. But Anderson didn't really play well enough for me to really understand how good uh, Tsitsipas's return was. I mean, if you want a shocking stat, here's a shocking stat. Tsitsipas put in, uh, he put 19 serves in play in the first set. He won 17 of the points. That should never happen, especially to Kevin Anderson, who's like an offensive kind of a first strike tennis player. He was just spraying the ball all over the place. The the forehand errors were uh, flying. And in the in the second set, Anderson kind of righted the ship, and he was actually getting free points. I, I really do believe he was getting free points. And if you look at the stats, both players put 67% of serves in play. So on one hand, you could say, well, Pass was on par with Anderson, so that's good. It is, and I think Pass served well. But I still think the return was rather, you know, okay, decent, pedestrian. Uh, but it just didn't matter. I will say at 3-all... Um, Tsitsipas hits four unreturned serve, a pair of aces, a pair of service winners. And I think that showed a lot of good poise. He also fought out a, uh, fought back from a love 40 hole at two all in the second set. He fought out from a 15, 30 hole in the beginning of the second set. Um, so I'll say that Tsitsipas showed the best thing that he did in this match. Great poise from the Greek after winning a set six, one. When things start to get even in the second set, it's very easy to panic and all, all of a sudden feel like, oh, what's going on? Why isn't this working anymore? Um, good composure. Good composure by Stefanos. Never beating himself in this match. Never giving Anderson a lead by playing a sloppy game. Digging out of some holes. He got a lot of help, don't get me wrong, but very good poise. Uh, a good job by Stefanos mentally in this match. After that three-all game, where Tsitsipas hit four unreturned serves. At 3-4, Tsitsipas threw up a, a good defensive lob, retrieved a passive overhead. Anderson was at the baseline to hit the overhead, didn't strike it hard. Tsitsipas got it back, and Anderson missed an open stance backhand later in the rally. Love 15, Tsitsipas netted a second serve return, trying to hit over that backhand. It's still not very strong. He's still not great at that. 
Uh, Anderson went for too much on a first forehand at 15 all, overcooked it, missed it. Good return by Titi Pass on that point. 15 30, hard forehand return by Titi Pass, jammed Anderson for the error. 15 all was also a forehand return. So let's let me get this straight. Love all, it was a forehand. Uh, Anderson served to the forehand. Love 15, Anderson hit to the backhand, won the point. 15 all, Anderson hit to the forehand. Great return by Stefanos, or good return. Stefanos wins the point. 15-30, Anderson serves to the forehand. Great return by Stefanos. And um, Anderson loses the point. Why did he go to the forehand on three of those four points? The one point he won, he served to the backhand. On 15-40, Anderson double faults. That was the break for 3-5, and Tsitsipas closed it for a 6-3 victory. Tsitsipas won 60 points in this match. Anderson made 20 unforced errors on the forehand alone. So this was a simple kind of, I don't want to be too hard on, on KA. It's, you know, there was a pandemic. I understand, you know, things are going to be weird, but things were weird here. His body just didn't recover. Um, and that was that. So 6-1, 6-3 win for Stefanos Tsitsipas. And uh, that'll do it for this edition for Monday Match Analysis. Remember, we're available on all audio platforms, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. It's a huge help if you subscribe, if you follow, if you rate, if you review. Subscribe on YouTube, like the video. Hope you enjoyed. Don't forget to subscribe. I'll see you next time. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.